Wait, what's your name? Danica. Patrick? Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm going to be your Lyft driver for the day. Hey there. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing great. Wow, you look great. Oh, thank you. What do you do? Uh, sales. I'd buy what you're selling. <laughs> How about yours? It's going pretty good. Yeah? It's going good. Just logging, logging laps. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> pretty much. Buckle up for safety. Right? You might need it. My boyfriend thinks I'm a horrible driver. Why? Because I don't follow the rules. I drive too fast. I ride too close. Gosh, come on, light. I hate oh. waiting. Ugh. But I love making lefts. I like left turns. Left, left, left. I sometimes I come around the corner here and I pretend like I'm crossing the finish line because it's. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And this. Uh, That's your speed monitor. I'm closing in on the car in front of me too fast. And the car beeps. And it beeps and has red lights that show up. My normal car does not have any of that. In fact, closing rates are encouraged. I try and get like 500 miles in on Sundays. And I try and do it in, like, under four hours. <laughs> Should we race them? Let's try and beat him off the line. <laughs> I think this guy knows who he's up against. <laughs> when it turns yellow, we'll really How'd get How'd you her. do that? Really? I'm two-footing it. Oh. Foot on the brake and the throttle. He doesn't look interested. If the passenger <laughs> was driving right now, we'd be, it'd be on. Mm-hmm. You'd be ready. Oh, yeah, that's what we want. Come on, come on. I think we even got a little wheel spin there. Do you watch this? Have you ever heard of that girl who races? Danica. Danica? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do Mm -hmm. you think of her? Man, she's awesome. Damn, she yeah. is awesome. Did you have a favorite driver that you cheered for? Danica Patrick. Is that fun? Is that like how you wish your rides could be? Well, I do that for a living, so it's safe. Do you really? Yeah. You're not, man. I am. Are you really? <gasps> no way. This is crazy. So cool. are smelling and the tires are smelling, which means I've definitely beat them by a lot. (laughs) So what if you knew earlier in the ride, you're riding with Danica Patrick. Y'all know who Danica Patrick is, right? Yes. Uh, Professional race car driver. Just someone you don't want to mess with on the streets, now that we know that. huh? But what if you found out you were actually riding with her earlier in the ride, how much more enjoyable would that ride be? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what, what would you ask her? What, I mean, I, I have questions for any race driver, but if it's Danica, this is a glass ceiling uh, conversation. You're breaking through a, an incredible ceiling. What would it be like if you asked those questions earlier, if you realized you knew who it was you were riding with? And how would that change the ride? Now, let me, let me scoot over to where we are in the series about Jesus. What if you knew your ride through life was with Jesus? 
how would your ride be different? Hmm? What if you were riding in the front seat just like those Uber riders were or taxi riders were that day? What if you realize this is Jesus? Because did you notice she was giving hints all the way through? Wasn't she? Uh, I, I love to get in uh, 500 miles on a Sunday. <laughs> is that a hint or what? I love left turns. <laughs> yes. I, I love to take off from the light, like, you know, beat them out. And then I love to cross over uh, and uh, act like I've crossed the finish line. I mean, she's giving them hints all the way along. Jesus does the same thing with people all throughout Israel while he's teaching. Remember these. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the gate. I'm the bread of life. I'm the vine. I am the light of the world. He's telling us all the way along. So what if you realized it earlier? How would it be different? How would your ride be different? That's the big question. In fact, if that's all you get out of this sermon, that's, it's worth the trip right there because you realize, <clears throat> if Jesus were next to me in this ride... How would my questions be different? Uh, how would my mindset be different? You've been in a setting like that where then you can't wait to take a picture, right? I mean, this is just the phenomenal thing. And for sure we would do that. But how would you act differently as well? Well, last week we talked from John chapter 10. So if, you're in, if you have a Bible, go with me to John 10 and uh, put a marker there. We're going to spend most of our time there. But we're going to spend some time too in, in Psalm 23. So if you have a full Bible, go to Psalm 23 and put your bulletin in your program there. We'll come to that in a little bit. In John 10 last Sunday, we learned that Jesus said, I am the gate or I am the door. And he taught us that being the gate, he is the access to God the Father who is in heaven. He said, you can come and go. I know my sheep. And he begins to unfold for us a bit of this illustration that he is the good shepherd and that's where we are today jesus says i am the good shepherd but before he says i'm the good shepherd he says i am the gate which praise the lord we have this access to god the father who's in heaven today i want you to understand jesus is telling us i'm the good shepherd and here's what happens oftentimes when you hear sermons about i'm the good shepherd is then the sermon is all about sheep and how dumb sheep are, which isn't really true, but how uh, wayward sheep are, which is very true, how much they wander, how much they don't look up, don't pay attention, and they just go along with the flow, and they'll starve themselves being left alone. If they weren't ever cared for, sheep would not have made it much further beyond the ark, just being honest. And that's why they get the phrase, dumb as sheep. It's because they'll just wander anywhere and they'll eat anything, they'll pick up anything, if you don't have a really good, good shepherd. So, here's the problem. When, when you hear the sermon and it's all about sheep, you'll miss the point. And the point is, Jesus is the good shepherd. If you put your eyes all over the sheep, you've lost the point. The point is, Jesus is the good shepherd. And what I, what I want to say to you today is this. Jesus is the good shepherd in a world of bad shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd. He really cares for you like a shepherd cares for his sheep. He not only cares for you, but he lovingly cares for you. Now, it's important to get this down because when we open the scriptures, as he makes the transition, John chapter 10 
uh, verses 1 to 10, he's explaining, I'm the gate. And then there's this transitional statement, verse, chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The thief only comes to kill, steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah, write those three down. Get those in the back of your head, because here it is. Now, point number one. <clears throat> life will have its thieves and robbers. Earlier in the text, he'll say, there are robbers out there and thieves out there. They're different words, you, you just, but here's the point. You will be cleaned out somewhere in life. Someone's going to cash you out, steal you blind, take your stuff in a moment you don't even think about. Life is full of moments with thieves and robbers. You cannot escape it. Now, about this time you're saying, what's the difference between a thief and a robber? A thief is someone who will steal from you, and, and they're very, they're, it's just a very subtle difference. You understand the subtle differences? Um, people say, I have a sniffle. I'm not feeling well. I have a fever. I'm contagious. Right? There's a difference, isn't there? Right? And it's just a little bit of difference. There's a little bit of difference between the terms. It's the way it is with a thief and robber. A thief is someone who will steal from you and you don't even know it's happening. There's someone who's going to uh, lift off of you and you don't even realize it till something, my phone is gone, my wallet is gone. But they, but they do it at the sleight of hand. They'll do it when you're gone. They'll steal in your house, break into your house when you're gone and take your stuff, okay? A robber, on the other hand, will do the same thing, but he'll do it at gunpoint. He'll go right up to your face. See, there's uh, more violence more confrontation, more violence with the robber. And in life, get this, you will have moments when people want to steal from you and, and snatch the, the essence of your life away, and you don't even realize it's happening. That's a thief. But you'll also have moments where you feel like you're held hostage, where you're held at gunpoint. Those are high moments in your life you'll never forget. You'll have robbers. Now, about this time, there's someone in the audience who says, not me. That's not going to happen to me. Because I had my quiet time today. Satan's going to leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you keep telling yourself that. Okay? Someone else says, well, it's not going to happen to me because I, I paid my tithes and offerings to the church. Like, that's insurance. Oh, no. No, in fact, if you announce that you paid your tithes and offerings, do you know what the Bible calls that person? A Pharisee. And do you know what Satan calls that person? the next pick. Do you know why? Because you've just announced, you've just announced Satan can't touch me. So now you become the target. A long time ago and far away, I, have, I come from a family, I know it's hard for you to believe, some of you, but it's true. I have a mom and a dad. I have an older brother, then there's me, I'm second born. How many second borns? You have my sympathy. Okay, then third is a sister. We're still trying to figure out why that is. And then I have a little brother. And uh, uh, so there's four of us. My older brother, Mike, went to college. I was still in high school. He went to college. Didn't really like college all that much. It wasn't him. Showing up to class, getting out of bed before noon was tough. So he, he left. He went to Europe to find himself. It was the 70s, okay? 
So he went to Europe to find himself and uh, went to a school in Switzerland called Labrie, which is actually a Christian uh, college. It's run by Francis Schaeffer, one of the best, he's in heaven now, Christian philosophers uh, in the world. I mean, just a phenomenal worldview thinker. Francis Schaeffer, read anything you can by him. He's a wonderful man. So my brother goes to Switzerland, but he decides not to come back. So he goes to Germany, gets a job, goes back to Switzerland, goes back to Labrie, to school, then goes to Italy, then goes to Greece, goes to France, goes back to Switzerland. So he doesn't come back. So my mom and dad decide they're going to go find him. And if, if he's wounded, they're going to help him. If he's not wounded, my mother swears she's going to kill him because she can't find him, you know. All the mothers said amen. So, so my mom and dad get on a plane, fly to Europe to go find my brother. Uh, go to dinner. My, my mom and dad meet uh, my parents, go, go to dinner. I think they were, they were, I don't know where they were, somewhere in Germany. My dad orders dinner. He says, I can order. So he orders, and then dad pays the bill. And it's like, this is in the 70s. It's over 100 bucks, which 30 years ago, a lot, a lot of money. A lot today, back then, a lot of money. The next night, my brother says, before we go to dinner, Dad, take off the Chicago Bears sweatshirt, would you? And then take the camera off of your neck and put this sweater on, this wool sweater, and wrap this muffler around your face. Just wrap this scarf around. And don't speak. I'll order dinner. And Mike ordered dinner in German, and it was like $35 for everybody. Okay? You know, my dad had telegraphed. I'm from America. I have money. Mug me. It's my, my brother. We, we, in fact, we, that was when my brother invented the phrase, he is a mugging waiting to happen. And my, my brother, on like the second or third day in Europe, uh, he redressed my parents told them to stop asking for ice in their drinks and just little nuances to keep them alive and safe and from being a thief or a robber coming to take them. Try to get into the community as much as you can without announcing who you are. Mike took them all around Europe. They would go back to Europe another half dozen or ten times and have a wonderful time and uh, go all over, all over uh, northern Europe the Maginot Line, all, all throughout, I, I'm just, I'm jealous. I'm so happy for them. And the fact that they did it and lost almost nothing in the process because they didn't announce anything. Uh, understand this. If you announce Satan can't touch me, guess what Satan's going to do? So I, I say that to say to you, not that you don't want to be bold in the Lord, but you don't want to be foolish looking to pick a fight either. Why? Because in the world, you will have thieves and robbers, and they're out to take you down, and they want to steal, kill, and destroy. I hope you get that, because if you get a little bit of fear, then you're better off, you, you, you're better prepared. If you knew a thief was coming to your house tonight, you would check the door, would you not? Sure you would. You would walk around, as I do at night, and check the windows, would you not? Yeah. And then I would go back and check the door again because one of the kids will get up, go out for something to the car and come back and not lock the door. So you would make sure the house is secure. And if you had an alarm or if you wanted to, uh, here I go, the politically incorrect realm, you might even, 
You might even get some kind of personal self-defense piece into your hand, like a kitchen spatula. (laughs) There we go. My announcing that now, you say, hey, I can take a guy on with a spatula. You understand, though, in life, you will have moments when the thieves and robbers will come, and they will come to steal, kill, and destroy. And to steal means they're going to rob you of your vision, of your goals, of what God wants to get accomplished in your life. They want to steal that away and take it away from you. And by doing that, they will kill, get this now, they will kill your joy and kill your hope. Make sure you get this. And if he can't kill your joy and hope and can't steal it enough, guess what he'll do? He'll just try to destroy it. Some of us have had a car stolen. And then the police will call and say, hey, we got your car back. And you get it back. But the seats are slashed. The window is bashed in. The, the trunk has been jimmied and the lock, the, the fender's been bent because they tried to pop the lock on the back trunk. And you get your car back, but it is destroyed. I mean, they were living in the car, doing unthinkable things in it. And then they destroyed it at the end. And you don't even want the car by the end. That's what a thief and a robber will do with your life. If he cannot steal, and if he cannot kill it, he'll just simply try to destroy it. Now, I say all that to say the back end of the verse is where our hope is. The back end says, I didn't come to do that. I didn't come to take stuff from you, Jesus says. I came to give you life. Get this, verse 10. And to give it to you all the way to the full to give it to you with abundance, to give you more than you can handle, to pour it on even better than you could ever imagine. I want to add value to your life to the absolute brim. I'm not about destroying your life. I'm about adding value to your life. When you get that in mind, now you're ready to hear, I'm the good shepherd. And why would he say I'm adding value? Because he's saying, the next, very next verse, I am the good shepherd. Shepherd, pick it up with me. You're in chapter 10. Pick it up in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Stop there. Verse 11, if you're taking notes. I am the good shepherd. And, and then he describes what this good shepherd does. And by saying, I am the good shepherd, what's he implying? There are bad shepherds out there. You have to know, there are people who will look after your soul only for your money. They will charge you for the pleasure, for the honor. And he's saying, I'm not that kind of shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm only going to add value to your life. In fact, I'm the good shepherd, verse 11, who will lay down his life. If you're taking notes, write down, sacrificing. That's what he is. He is the sacrificial kind of shepherd. He'll give his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. he's He's just paid to take care of the sheep. So when a wolf comes, what does the hired hand do? He jumps. He runs away. He's not going to stay in it for this. He runs away. Why? Because he's a hired hand. 
And he does not care, which tells me what? Not only is this good shepherd, not only is he going to sacrifice, he also cares. It's the second word, if you're taking notes to yourself. He sacrifices, he cares. He really does care. So every once in a while, I get on a plane like you do, and every once in a while, there's this open seat. You know what the open seat is, right by that side door? You know why we all take this, right? Because we all want to be heroes when the plane goes down, right? No, we take it because there's more leg room, and there's fewer people around us. So, people will, so then the, the, the people on the plane, the staff will say, uh, you have to be willing to, to exercise, um, you know, the office, should you be so enthroned to this chair? And everybody goes, uh-huh, okay. And they just sign up to do it. I'm thinking, you know, if the plane goes down in smoke, who's going to hold this guy? Like, well, he didn't help us out the door. You know, we don't even know who is at that seat anymore. The plane goes down. Why? Because he's really not under contract. Everyone's running for their life. And that's what a hired hand is like, isn't it? He doesn't really care. He just runs away. At the end of the shift, he just gives up and walks away. And if the sheep wander off or the wolves eat him, he goes, well, you know what? It's part of the circle of life. I fed a lion mountain today. We lost a few sheep. That's the way it goes. No, that's not the way the shepherd views it. He says, I'll sacrifice. Why? Because I care. Pick it up, verse 14. He says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So now is he sacrificial, and now does he care, but he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he talks earlier, my sheep know my voice. They know my voice. I know my sheep, now verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I love this at the back end of the, of the picture. He says, and you're not the only sheep I have. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. In other words, it isn't just about you. It's about all the sheep. Wouldn't it be cool for us to visualize that Jesus not only cares for us, and he does, but he cares for the people on my block, in my subdivision, in my precinct, in my school district, in my county, at my office, on the bus, all the people on the train. He cares for them too. He says, I have other sheep, they're not in this pen. You, you've not seen them. You don't know them. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. In other words, they're believers. They're followers. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Now he's starting to get prophetic. I hope you see this. I lay down my life. I'm going to take it up again. This is like Danica saying, I love to make left turns. Okay, you know, after about three or four of these, you start to think, this could be a race car driver. Would you not begin to think that? Jesus is saying, I will lay down my life. And now he's referring now, I'm saying, I'll take it up again. Referring to his own resurrection, verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, the Roman Empire is going to take credit for killing me, but they don't. I give up my life. Why? Because I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I received from the Father. So he's saying, nobody is the boss over me except the Father. I don't even die with someone trying to kill me. Doesn't isn't going to happen. I have authority over my own life, he's saying. And he, he prophetically announces, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. He's given us another clue. If you're riding in the car with him, he's given you another clue. Well, I take this passage 
And, and we realize Jesus is the absolute good, good shepherd. But when he said, I'm the good shepherd, they were used to shepherds. And they were, it's a very agriculturally driven economy and most of the people were somehow involved with either farming or cattle, something to do with agriculture. <clears throat> so when he talks about it, being a shepherd, they knew this, but they knew this too from their, from their favorite king of all time. His name is David. Their favorite king of all time wrote their most loved psalm and it's the most loved psalm even today. When God is in heaven, goes to describe himself to this young shepherd boy, he knows he can't use terms that David can't understand, so he creates for David a word picture. And in that word picture, scholars call it an anthropomorphism. It's a, it, it is a man it changed. It, it, it's a word picture of man to God, but it's a man picture and it's personified, so you get who God really is. And that's when David writes in his, from his own pen, but from the very voice of God, the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing that I want. And it's then that we begin to realize this really good shepherd is Jesus. This really good shepherd, he provides. There is nothing I really need. This good shepherd will cover me. I don't need to worry or stress. It can all go away because there is nothing I absolutely need. Why? Because Jesus, the good shepherd, provides. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths that are right for his namesake. He does it for his own sake, but he guides me. In other words, not only does he provide for me, but he marks my path and he gives me a better perspective and he has the better perspective so I know that I can trust him because he guides me so well. And he's not out just to build his own resume. He's out to protect me and bring me to a better place. That's what a guide does. Pick up the passage again, verse 4, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the, uh, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Those were offensive and defensive tools. He's, he's saying, I find great comfort. And that's what we find in Jesus as the good shepherd. Why? Because he is so protective. He genuinely cares for the sheep. He cares for the sheep on good days and on bad days. And when sheep aren't obeying, does he beat the sheep? No. He guides the sheep. He corrects the sheep. He comforts the sheep. And he brings them back, if they're wounded, back to full health. Even when I walked through the darkest valleys of life, get this, even when you go through the darkest times in your life, you don't have to fear evil. Why? Because the good shepherd's with you. His rod and staff, they watch over you. It's comforting to know that the Lord is not just understanding, but he's also strong. 
when you, are know, when you know you're well protected, you can rest. You can sleep knowing someone else is on guard. But that's not all. He is actually a protective savior as well. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's a word picture of just pouring it on. He's saying, you prepare a table before me and the enemies. I, I don't worry about this because I know who's going to win. I don't, I'm not afraid. He teaches me actually how to handle the enemy. He prepares a table. I'm nurtured, taken care of, even in the midst of this incredible attack. The Lord still cares. He provides, he guides, he comforts, he protects. And at the end of the day, the end of the passage, verse 6, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. Goodness and love follow me. In other words, wherever I go, I know he's marking my path because he's guiding me. And I don't need to worry because this happens all my life. And at the end of the day, guess what happens? We die and go to be in the presence of the Lord. He prepares heaven for us. Now, take all that they knew about that shepherd from the Old Testament, that whole picture of this wonderful, good shepherd And then when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and then he says, oh, by the way, I'll lay my life down for you. I'll care for you when no one else does. And I'll sacrifice for you. And I'll look out for your well-being. And I have other sheep. In other words, it's not just about you. It's about all these other sheep. I'm very inclusive in my reach. So if you ever worried about that, I'll take care of you. You see, this story isn't really about the sheep. It's really about how incredibly good the shepherd is. And the message is this. John uh, John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. He wants you to know that he is the loving caretaker for your soul. And if you get nothing else from the day, that's worth it. So, imagine yourself just for a moment, then we'll pray. Your life is a ride. And you don't have Danica Patrick driving. You have Jesus. But he's giving you hints. Uh, Don't worry, I can, we'll get through this rough patch. It may seem like we're lost, but we're not. I'll get you there safely, on time. Don't worry. How would your ride be different if you knew it was Jesus? How would this thing called life be if you knew you were walking with him next to you all the time? How comforting would that be to know you have a good, good shepherd who is out for your good? Amen? Let's bow for prayer. And would you stand as we pray? The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to know God and then to enjoy him forever. And if you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you know the very Son of God. And so you're on your way to enjoying the Lord forever. So Lord, we want to enjoy the ride called life. May we practice, we pray, the presence of Jesus, knowing that he's beside us 
all throughout, no matter where we go, no matter what we do. And may goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives as we prepare to dwell in the house which is yours forever. We pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior, the church says. Amen? Amen. Amen.